Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our first reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 29 through 31. You may locate these texts in your pew Bible on page 903. First, let us prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Immediately after the suffering of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of all the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. A reading continues in Matthew 24. Listen to this. But about that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. So, in your own faith, in your own thought, what do you think happens really when we die? I think about this a lot, mostly because more weeks than not, I sit with some of you as we sing abide with me or for all the saints and we hear again that promise I've prepared a place for you and will come again and take you to myself I've been in that service with many of you here in my own faith I trust that in the end there is only God 
There are no more wins and losses. There are no more jobs to do, no more problems to solve. There's only God. And if God is love, then God could not bear to let you go. I trust that the love of God holds us fast. I trust that because our own experience of love in this world is that the one thing that love does very poorly is let go. I think resurrection is God's last act of love. Now, in our experience, we tend to think of this on an individual basis. But this text from Matthew invites us to think about this less from an individual scale and more on a cosmic scale, the last act of love for the whole of creation. This text is cosmic in scope. It begins, after all the suffering of those days. Jesus says, after all the suffering of those days, a lot of crazy stuff happens. The night sky goes dark. Jesus learns to ride clouds. There are trumpet blasts that evidently can be heard around the world, and angels are everywhere. Now, you know what a lectionary is? The lectionary is a collection of texts that are assigned to each Sunday, and a lot of traditions follow the lectionary, lectionaries place this passage on the first Sunday of Advent every year. You begin Advent with Jesus riding the clouds. It is a strange text. And my sense is the stranger the passages are, the more easy it is for them to be misunderstood. I think a lot of folks who read these words of Jesus coming on the clouds, they take them literally, so they do what, well, they do what Thomas Jefferson did. They just cut them out of the Bible. This is crazy stuff. Well, let's move on to something that makes more sense. Others read it, taking it literally, and assume it is a news report. It's a report telling us how the world is going to end. If you've ever had a conversation who read these passages this way, they almost never make it sound like it's a good thing. They almost never make it sound like good news. Oh, a few of the elect get to ride in the air, but everybody else is, well, left behind, as they say. I think both approaches are mistaken. It's not a news report. But I do think it's hard to get through Advent without this word. After all the suffering of those days, that's what Matthew says. I don't know if he had a particular suffering in mind, but he wouldn't have to. Suffering is the companion of every age, and suffering is the focus of this passage. It is from the midst of suffering that Jesus speaks these words and that Matthew writes these words. He writes them in what biblical scholars call apocalyptic language. It's not ordinary talk. Apocalyptic language is speech that comes from suffering. It uses hyperbolic images to speak ultimate truth. 
But if we were to make it simple, the message is almost always this. Jesus is Lord. He was Lord at the beginning. He is Lord now. When the end comes, Jesus will still be Lord. For when you and I and the whole of creation have taken our last breath, there is only God. And because God is love, then there's nothing to fear. This passage is not intended as a threat. It's a word of comfort spoken in the suffering of these days. It says the world will end. Yes, of course it will. It will. The world is a creature, not the creator. The world is a creature, just like all creatures. Creatures are finite, limited. Stars and starlings and you and me, we all as creatures have a beginning and we will all have an end. It is just the truth of creatures. There are limits. There's nothing wrong with limits. It's not sinful to be limited. There's nothing wrong, although sometimes it can be very frustrating. When I was a kid, I had big dreams. I was, I was pretty convinced that I would be the starting second baseman for the Atlanta Braves. But then the cruel realities of finitude set in, and I realized I would never play baseball. My problem? Zero talent. It was okay. I decided I would be a musician. I bought a guitar. I started writing songs. I had, had big plans. But then the cruel realities of finitude set in. My problem? Zero talent. Zero talent is how I became a preacher. <laughs> Not much talent required there. I was pretty young when I had my first dreams of being a preacher. I think four or five, actually. I was in the backyard of our home, and there was a swing set, and the swing was just the perfect height for a pulpit. So I decided I would preach in the backyard. We had a couple of dogs. They were not very attentive, but I've grown used to that. And so I, I started preaching there in the backyard. My father came home. He was a preacher, too. My father came home, heard me giving the benediction in the backyard, and stuck around and said, uh, so Tom, are you, are you preaching? I said, yes, sir, I sure am. He said, are you trying to be like your father? I looked at him with level gaze, and I said, you? I'm Billy Graham, man, all right? But then the cruel realities of finitude set in. Sometimes we say in our culture, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be hogwash we are limited every one of us in different ways it's not bad it's not evil it's just real and some read this text as about the finite reality of the world the world will end but I think that misses it I don't think Jesus is primarily talking about the end of this world as much as Jesus is teaching 
the beginning of a new world, of a new kingdom, of a, a promised day that is being born among us. Now look, we've been together a long time. And so you know that in my own faith, this promise is bedrock for me. Every sermon I preach is shaped by the belief in God's promised day. Kind of hate to say it out loud, but that's really the only sermon I've got. And once somebody said to me not too long ago, said, you talk about that, but how does that matter now? It's a great question. I think it actually gets at the core of our faith. Because we are called to live the present, shaped more by God's future than by our past. That is not easy. We are called to live in the present, trusting who we will be more than who we have been, to be shaped more by our hope than by our hurt. Because Jesus is Lord. Even in these days of suffering, because Jesus is Lord, his future can shape us now. As we've been saying in this series, we're not home yet. But if Jesus is really Lord, and I believe he is, then someday we will be, and not just us, but all. The world will be home. And that new day is being born bit by bit among us in the present. This is how I think about it. Every pastor, every pastor develops a familiarity with hospital waiting rooms. You've been in hospital waiting rooms most likely, and, and so you know what happens in waiting rooms. It's simple stuff, and it's stuff that can happen in any room. There are people who drink their coffee and they read the paper, work crosswords. Some people like to talk on the phone or, or talk to complete strangers. How old is she? 23 months? I've got a niece. going to be three in October. It's just normal stuff that goes on, except it's a waiting room. And because it's a waiting room, that means in the midst of all of this ordinary stuff, there is a love on the other side of the door. There's one you love and one who loves you. And it is that love on the other side of the door that governs and defines every crawling minute in the waiting room. And so in the midst of all of the normal activity, the telling stories and working the crosswood crossword puzzles, there's always an eye on the door. And you don't know when it's going to happen, but when the door opens, everybody stops and turns to the door because there's a love on the other side of the door that defines everything going on. Everybody stops. Well, not everybody. Often there's somebody who's oblivious and says something very profound in the silence that happens when the door opens and says something like, I can't believe the ref made that call. That guy thinks he's just in a room. He has no idea he's in a waiting room. He doesn't know the love that defines the present. I think 
I think we live all of our lives in the waiting room. There's a holy love on the other side of the door that defines the present. I've come to the point in my own faith that I, I think Jesus is teaching us that that holy love shapes every moment, even and particularly in the suffering of these days, when you live trusting that that love calls you by name and will never let you go, but not only you, the whole of creation. What this passage is talking about is the last act of love for the whole of creation. And it's most clearly understood in the suffering of those days. So as I'm rereading these words this week, I thought about folks from this family of faith who gathered in this sanctuary this week to sing Abide With Me and to hear again, I go to prepare a place for you. They came with hearts split open with grief. But these words were written for them. I thought of Greta Thunberg, Time's Person of the Year, this teenage girl with Asperger's as a prophet among us. She is living toward a day that's getting harder and harder to imagine, a day when we might turn the realities of climate change around. These words are written for her and her generation that will bear the brunt of this. I thought about folks I worshipped with a few weeks ago. We're in the Dominican Republic, in the Bates. These folks are on the wrong side of the economy. All the theories aren't working there. As, as the money from the sugar crop is increasingly finding itself, its, its way into fewer and fewer hands, and these harvesters are paid sharecropper wages as capitalism is leaving them behind, these words are written for them. These words are written for the poor and the forgotten, the frightened and the grieving. They're written for the sick and the broken and the abused. And they're written for you and me in days when we know suffering and days when we don't. Because there's never a day when we aren't surrounded by suffering. And the promise is this. The suffering will end. Because in the ultimate end, there is only God, and God is love. God will hold fast to you in love. I think, I think that's what that bizarre part about the two working in the field, and one's taking one's left, two grinding at the meal, and one's taking one's left. I, 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 think, I think what it's saying is, we think we're in the same room, but one of them knows it's a waiting room, and the other thinks it's just a field. One of them knows we're not home yet, and the other thinks this is it. It's easy sometimes to feel like this is it. So a couple of years ago, I was in the Newark airport and evidently about an hour before I arrived, the airport had a power outage. The consequence of was all of the TS, 
TSA scanners, they all went out except one. So the entire airport was going through one scanner. The line backed up out of security. It backed up out of the ticketing area. It backed down into baggage claim. It was out on the sidewalk. It was just weaving around and, and you couldn't tell where it was going. And because it was an airport, nobody felt any burden to explain anything to us. So I just got in line and asked the people around, is this the line? to the gates? They said, we don't know. We hope so. We don't know. And I said, well, is there any way for us to find out? They said, go ahead if you want to, but I'm not getting out of line. I, I, don't, I don't know. And I was standing there, I was all, not only thinking, I'm never going to make my plane. I'm thinking, I could spend three weeks in this line and end up at Starbucks. I don't know where it's going. It could be a line to nowhere. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? They were all caught in a line to nowhere. Sometimes it feels like everything's falling apart and nobody seems to see it. There are big, big problems. And almost nobody is talking about it. The problems they talk about are made up. The real problems, most people in power seem so captured by their own fear, they're choosing to take care of themselves and throw everybody else under the bus. They worship ideology and ignore facts. Truth is denied. And you begin to wonder if the center's gonna hold or if we're beginning to see the end of things that we took for granted. This is the suffering of these days. And we're not home yet. But I believe this. In the end, there's only God. There's nothing else for us to do. There's only God. Jesus is Lord. He was Lord at the beginning. He is Lord now. He will be Lord at the end. And because he is, we will be home This summer, I stumbled across some wonderful words from Clarence Darrow. I shared them with you back in July, but they're Advent words. Clarence Darrow was a defense attorney. Uh, you know him probably from the Scopes, from defending John Scopes in the Monkey Trial in Dayton, Tennessee, 1925. Do you remember? I don't remember. I'm not asking, were you there? I'm asking, had you read about it? Do you remember the monkey trial? Well, the year before that, in 1924, he took a case that's known as Leopold and Loeb. They were 20-somethings and were charged and convicted of killing a teenage boy, a senseless murder. Darrow took their case to try to keep the state from putting these young men to death. In his eight-hour closing. He said this, I'm going to leave parts of it out. <laughs> he said, your honor stands between the past and the future. You may hang these boys, but if you do, you turn your face to the past. The future stands with me. I am pleading for life. I am pleading that we overcome cruelty with kindness and hatred with love. I am pleading for the future. 
for a time when hatred and cruelty will not control the human heart, when we can learn by reason and judgment and faith that all life is worth saving and that mercy is our highest attribute. I am pleading for the future, and the future stands with me. That's the whole message of Advent. We're not just waiting for God's future. We're pleading for it. We're striving toward it. We're living toward it. We can get better by bits and glimpses. The world can too. Many have sold out on that dream. But Jesus is Lord And he doesn't need them to believe it for it to be true. Jesus is Lord. And it's not just that that means this world will end. It means the new world is being born. A promised day is coming. I don't know what you think happens when we die. But I trust this. The love of God is a love that cannot bear to let you go. We know love like that ourselves. Love doesn't let go very easily. I think we love like that because the one who made us loves like that. I think God simply refuses to grant death the power to pull us from God. But not only you and me, but the whole of creation. In the end, there is only God. And God will be God, which means love reigns and wins and holds fast. In the end, the suffering of these days will be no more. But we and all will be home. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.